Welcome back to the Baropolis podcast for the second episode. Firstly, me and Nathan just want to say thank you very much for all the kind words, all the tweets, all the emails on social media. It has been very nice to see such nice comments, really. Uh, as I mentioned in the first episode, we're near enough amateurs in this field. So to see everything got uploaded was a positive, but then to see all the nice feedback was definitely a bonus. Nathan, I know you want to briefly just mention that. Yeah, thank you everyone for the kind support uh, online and through the emails. Um, it's been amazing to see really, considering me and Chris, this is our first first real attempt at doing a podcast with all the video and audio issues yeah. that can be encountered. But yeah, thank you very much for all the support. Yeah, definitely, Nathan. And as, well, visually and on audio, you might be able to tell, there is a slight hold-up in the connection. It's not too bad. It is certainly bearable. But that is because our very own Nathan has decided after one podcast, he's going to take himself away on holiday. This is being recorded from Nathan's part in Portugal. Nathan, how is sunny Portugal? Yeah, brilliant. It's been fantastic so far. Yeah, I think after the support from the first podcast, the superstardom's hit me. <laughs> Needed to get away straight away. You're a superstar <laughs> straight away and just took yourself away on holiday, yeah. I don't mind it, to be honest. Yeah, well, you're away in Portugal, but you've still managed to get the Borat top on for today's opener against Fulham. What a point, really, straight away, we should say. From from what it was in the first half to the end result, I'm sure everyone is very, very happy. Both of us are definitely happy. You know, Fulham are newly relegated. But firstly, I think we should really start with the starting lineup. Nathan, were you happy with Neil Warnock's eleven? Yeah, strangely enough, I, I was really... Um, encouraged by it I think it was probably the strongest side that we could field on the day due to Tavernier being um, a bit of a doubt before the game with injury and obviously Piero has only just entered um, entered the side and obviously he's Olympics with Argentina so yeah I think it was probably the strongest side that we could field on the day yeah, and just on the team, obviously we have spoken a little bit after the full-time whistle. In the first half, rightly so, the team were getting a little bit of criticism. The selection, um, probably more so than personnel. The formation was a big talking point. Now, Neil Warnock has preferred the five or the three, whichever way you want to call it, at the back, wing-backs and three centre-backs. First of all, do you think that going forward, that is something that we should keep? Now, I know we're early days and it is one game in, but first half especially, I think, one, we look too defensive. And two, it's sort of, the formation allowed us to really invite pressure on ourselves, to be honest. Yeah, I think in, term, in terms of the formation, I think starting with a five, is not necessarily the worst thing when you go away 
to sides like Fulham and Bournemouth and the more possession-based sides that the Championship has to offer. Because Neil Warnock knows that we aren't going to dominate the ball. I think we all know that, that Middlesbrough will not dominate the ball in games this season or at all under Neil Warnock, really. So I think playing with a five, we soak up the pressure, really, and look to hit on the break. I think we probably need a bit more pace in that side if, if, if you want to play a five to get forward and quickly spring on the counter-attack when we do um, gather the ball and gather possession. We need to spring quickly and get forward quickly. So, yeah, more more pace, really. I think that'll come with more transfers, um, hopefully more incomings with wide players. We need we a cry out for some pace going forward, I think. Yeah, I think it was glaringly obvious first half that we were lacking a little bit of pace. You know, we're seeing Anthony Dykesteel and Mark Bowler as the two wing-backs. Now, both of them had great games and obviously Bowler got the vital goal in the end. But if we are going to go ahead with that wing-back system, do you think perhaps that we would be better suited bringing in specialist wing-backs? Now, I know Bowler is probably the more attacking of the two. And like I say, Dykesdale had a good game today. But potentially, if we are, like you say, looking to hit teams on the break, especially away, do you think that extra pace and potentially final product in the final third would perhaps be better suited for that formation, given that we also have Morsi and Housen sitting in as arguably two more defenders? Yeah, I think... In terms of wing-backs, we do need probably another right wing-back because Dyke Steele, of course, he can, he, can, he can play there and he does do a job, but I think he's much more suited to playing as a right-back in a, in in a, a four. four, really, compared to a... Yeah, in a four. Um, Baller, I think he possesses a bit more versatility to play a bit further forward. He can play in that wing-back role as well as playing in the four. So I think possibly bringing in another wing-back, and this this isn't to slander Dykes deal, this, this no, is just to say... We need to make it clear. Be... We need to make it clear that Dykes deal had a really good game today. You know, we're happy yeah. with the result. And Dykes deal was solid defensively, as he always is, as he was the whole of last season. But to be honest, we did see Dyke Steele, you know, tucked in one last season and playing more as a third centre-back almost. And McNair was pushed forward. Today, he was in that wing-back role. And as we say, defensively solid, but perhaps a more natural wing-back. Possibly even a winger. You know, we've seen Victor Moses play as a wing-back in that Chelsea Premier League winning team a few years back. Potentially someone, when we are sitting deep, that is just going to drive us up the pitch, really. I mentioned the back five and the two sitting midfielders. Do you feel, this is something that I noticed, do you feel that when we're playing Housen and Sam Morsey, that 
potentially are the two similar? Yeah, to an extent they, they are, but I think really what for me watching us play, I think Marcy's being played a bit out of position really. He's playing yeah. a bit further forward than I think he usually would want to be. Um he is ideally your number six in a midfield three. He's the one that sits and breaks up play and just distributes it to his other central midfielders who will then try and break lines and be a bit more, a bit more like playmakers, I think. So when yeah. Marcy's in that role, now playing in a three in midfield with Housen and whether it be Crooks or whether it be uh, Paddy McNair, Marcy's usually the right-sided central midfielder, which I think is a bit of a strange one because he doesn't usually offer all that much going forward. Whereas Johnny Housen, I I know Johnny Housen's um, a bit older than he he used to be, of of course, when he was at Leeds and Norwich. But Johnny Housen was always that midfielder for those sides that would drive forward and look to create for those sides. Yeah, and obviously in in that position, we are, well, today we were without, I say without, he was on the bench, but I don't think he was ever realistically going to feature, especially considering the time that he's been in the country and and things like that. Martin Piero is probably, as you say, going to come into that role with a little bit more freedom and look to break lines and pass through the thirds and create really more of a link between the midfield and the forwards. I think first half, definitely a day that was missing, really. You know, big Uche, give a real fight to the Fulham centre-backs. We've seen one of the Fulham centre-backs go off with a popped lip or a popped nose. I'm not, I think <laughs> it could well have been Iqpiezu, which may have left one on him. But yeah, I think with obviously the system that we were playing today, there was that obvious missing link in midfield. And I think one man that probably Middlesbrough fans today that may have not watched Matt Crooks may have been thinking, well, we signed him as a, a midfielder or a 10 that is, you know, willing to make late runs into the box and, and play off Iqpiezu, really. But he played more to the right of the two off Iqpiezu, Iqpiezu sorry, if I can get my words out correctly. Him and Watmore were playing off the big man. I'll call him instead of messing up the words. Um, we're playing off Iqpiezu today and it almost looked at times in the first half that Crooks was playing as a right winger. Now, I don't think that's his best position, but, you know, he, he did good things. He was neat and tidy and there was definitely signs where he thought that that role in behind the striker is obviously and will suit him much more going forward. Yeah, 100%. I think him especially Crooks today, playing off that right was almost just as a square peg in a round hole, really, just to get him on the pitch and trying to fit a system. I think, um, yeah, the gap between the midfield and the striker will almost certainly be filled by Crooks and Piero, who will be looking to make driving runs from midfield to support Iqpiezu when we 
look forward and try and hit him. He will. He will. It is clear to see that Ikpiazu will pin the centre halves and bring the ball down and try and bring others into play. So we do need runners from midfield, whether it be McNair, Piero, Crooks, any of them. They should be getting forward to support Ikpiazu and maybe even looking wide. What more? And Amiobi, hopefully, when he eventually is fit and ready, they'll be supporting Ikpiazu as well to create a bit less of a gap in between the midfield and the forwards. Yeah, and just on talking points, first half, Fulham obviously took the lead. But early on in the game, Alexander Mitrovic, it's fair to say, left one on Johnny Housen. What is your verdict on that? Because for me personally, he wasn't looking at the ball at all. I think had it not have been so early on in the game, it definitely could have warranted a red card. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one, actually, because I remember a similar incident happened last season with Mitrovic. I think Fulham were playing Leeds away, as I remember. And yeah. it, was, it was either just after a, a kick-off from a goal or maybe just after kick-off straight away, just ran over and just elbowed someone straight in the face. Yeah. No attempt I mean, to win the ball. Just nothing. Yeah. I mean, it was blatant that he was just trying to leave one in it. Leave one on on Housen, but I don't know the ref. The referee. I don't. I don't really have a lot to say about Keith Stroud today. I, yeah, I think. I think. I just have no words. Have no words for. Him. I think many Middlesbrough fans echo your thoughts on Phil Stroud. You know, in the past, he has made some questionable decisions, to say the least. But talking points again in the first half. Harry Wilson opened the scoring. I think from a defensive point of view, it was a poor goal to concede. Obviously, in the end, the goal scorer, Mark Bowler, probably knew from minute one, and Warnock said in his post-match press conference, he'd been warned, Harry Wilson wants to get on that left foot of his, and he just really let him let him do what he wanted. Yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah, maybe Bowler's match fitness can be used as a slight excuse, but there's no excuse for letting him on, letting Harry Wilson go on that left foot. I think everyone that's watched the championship in recent years knows that Harry Wilson's got an absolute rocket of a left peg. So, yeah, I think the, the what I don't think has been picked up on was, I think... They had a young lad called Carvalho. He made a fantastic run to pull Housen away from where Wilson was running into. Yeah. So I thought that was a, a dead good run from Carvalho. But yeah, Bowler just completely lost Wilson, didn't he? He was running in circles trying to get him in that first half. Yeah. Well, in that first half, obviously, it was Bowler's error. But second half, he made up for it. And we'll get onto that a little bit later. But moving into the second half... I think at half-time, any Middlesbrough fan would have snapped the hand off. Whoever, I'm not sure whose hand, <laughs> but they would have snapped a hand to get a point out of the game. And that is what we got ultimately. The substitutions for me in the second half changed the tide of the game, the way the match was going. Now, at first, 
when he brought Ikpiazu and Watmore off, there was probably a few people thinking, well, we do need a goal here. But, you know, Tavernier coming on, who had had a slight knock during pre-season, massively changed the game for me. And another sub, which also massively changed the game, Isaiah Jones coming on late. I think it would be fair to say both of them ultimately got us the point, really. Yeah, I mean, Tavernier, his run for the goal was just fantastic. That's what we need. We need someone to just gather the ball in and just take risks, try and get at players. And I know that he didn't get a shot off, but he beat three players, brought the ball from one flank to the other. And yeah, Baller laid it to Jones. Some uh, tricky feet helped him flick the ball back into Baller. A nice, neat turn. A lovely finish through the uh, through the legs of the defender into the far yeah. corner, and the away end erupted. I know, made up for that error in the first half. I don't want to see him too harsh because ultimately he's got us a point. But yeah, like you say, Isaiah Jones, Tav, them sort of players. It just we almost look like a different team when I don't want to say Isaiah Jones because you know he come on as, as a sub, and we've seen a lot more of Marcus Tavernier, but. Players that are willing to take that risk and drive forward and run at people would just look like a complete different side. It was complete Jekyll and Hyde from first and second half. And we're just much more of a threat. You know, we've, we have got quality throughout the team. And as you say, Tavernier beats his man and it goes and ends up at the feet of Jones. The goal comes from Jones. Just speaking on Isaiah Jones, what a first competitive debut from him. Competitive debut for Middlesbrough, I should say. He was on loan last season. But yeah, what an impact he had. Yeah, he was brilliant. Just, again, taking risks. We know he's got pace and he was beating his full, trying to beat his full back every time he got the ball, really. Looking to make things happen for us. Looking to get forward, create chances. And yeah, he won a few fouls for us in dangerous positions, which unfortunately didn't lead to a winner. But yeah, brilliant from him. Fantastic. Over the moon for him on his debut. Yeah, I'm just smiling to myself, to be honest, Nathan, because I've got my notes next to me. And I've just wrote, Isaiah Jones, the next messy question mark. You know, I think we're probably getting a bit ahead of ourselves there. <laughs> but yeah, it was, we're happy with the result. You know, going into the day, I think, me and you personally had spoken about it. It was always going to be a tough game. You know, Fulham managed to retain a lot of the players that were with them last season. They had so many threats. Obviously, Niskins Cabano that was with us last season for the second half of the season. Carvalho, as you mentioned, uh, the young attacking midfielder. And even the substitutes that they brought on, Bobby Dover-Reed, Ivan Cavallero, you know, they've got an embarrassment of riches really compared to us when you look at our bench. But overall, I think a point is really a great result, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think anyone that says that they wouldn't have taken a point before kickoff is completely lying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a point away at a side that's newly relegated, probably the favourites to win the division, certainly the bookies' favourites to win the division with the squad that they have. 
Um, yeah, I think it's a fantastic point. It gets one of the most difficult fixtures in the division out of the way, straight away, Fulham away. It's one that you look at and think, oh no, that could later in the season when you look at it and look at a certain run of games, it's one that you could fumble over because of such, because of how good they are, really. They like to keep the ball. They like to knock it round you and make you work for the possession. So, yeah, fantastic point. Yeah, and fantastic point, but also roared on by the Middlesbrough fans. Just a point on that incredible away end all afternoon. Now, obviously, we were both not there. You were potentially chanting on your balcony from Portugal, I'm not sure. Getting some strange looks from the locals. But yeah, all afternoon, <laughs> all you could hear on Sky Sports was them Middlesbrough fans chanting all afternoon and how brilliant that first away game back. What an atmosphere they created. They deserved that goal, the equaliser, more than anyone. And fair play for travelling down. Yeah, I mean, I can't say anything anything more about the Borough fans, really. We've got such a such a good support wherever we go, really, and to to sell out at Fulham. I know I know that the capacity is slightly reduced, but yeah, all you could hear on Sky Sports was the Borough fans in that corner was, in the put in. It was a real sense yeah. of pride. I know. I mean, the the all of us aren't there. We're, we're all part of the Middlesbrough family, but yeah, even though I wasn't there, I just it was brilliant to hear them all afternoon. And obviously, since the game's finished, we saw that special video go up on Twitter, Neil Warnock with a fist bump after the game. It's just brilliant to see the fans and see that interaction between the players, even for the celebration of the goal. It's just, it's brilliant to have fans back in stadiums and, and that moment today just felt really special, didn't it? Yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic to see every club this weekend having fans back in stadiums. It's just that sense of, normality back in back in life once again it's fantastic to see and hopefully it continues throughout the season and beyond yeah so overall a very good point something that we would have taken before kickoff certainly now on to more good news off the field this time this week saw Kieran Scott announced as our new head of football he's been titled now, Nathan, I'm going to let you give your thoughts on this. But for me, what a positive step for the club. Yeah, I think positive is the main word for that appointment. Um, of course, Kieran Scott, his resume looks fantastic when you see him as head of recruitment rather than football at Norwich City, finding players like Emi Buendia, Timu Puki, among others. Yeah, I mean, if, if Kieran Scott is now a part of the recruitment system, if that is what the head of football role entails, hopefully we have our own Emmy Buendia and Timu Puki in the championship come whenever possible. Yeah, as you say, obviously, in Scott's past, in his previous roles, He's worked with Norwich and I think really from the reaction of the Norwich fans definitely this week, it is almost seen as quite a big loss to their club now. Obviously, 
we know that they have Stuart Webber, who really across football is seen as the messiah of sort of that role. Really, I don't yeah. think that would be too far. Or certainly from getting teams, you know, he's got he's done it at Huddersfield, he's done it at Norwich, he's got a real big reputation. And from what I was reading this week, I think a lot of Norwich fans thought that Kieran Scott was his replacement, really. So. The fact that we've managed to bring him in, I think, is a massive, um, massive, should I say, <laughs> for the club, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you say, he's done it at Huddersfield and he's done it at Norwich City with a promotion in 2018-19 and, of course, 2021. I think he he could be brilliant for us, really. We need We need to catch up with the curve that football has now with directors of football, sporting directors and other roles in football clubs. And it looks like Kieran Scott could be one of the, the better people in that business side of football, really. Yeah, definitely, Nathan. And I think, to be honest, we've spoken about this for a long time and a lot of Middlesbrough fans have, in fairness. But it just feels like this is something that we've been crying out for for years. For a long time now, the recruitment has probably not been up to scratch. I think that would be fair to say. And I just think having someone in that role that even when Warnock does leave as manager and obviously as his title, head of football, I think potentially as well as a recruitment, it seems as though he will probably have quite a large say as to who comes in as the head coach or manager and and someone in that role that isn't going to be you know one of one of the boys yeah that's in no way disrespect to steve gibson but in the past it has been sort of understood that you know people like adrian beverton were really getting roles because they were friends of Steve Gibson and obviously Jonathan Woodgate is a head coach but I think this appointment gives us like you say that almost jumping onto the curve that forward trajectory and having someone that has an outside perspective of the club before he's come here a completely neutral perspective and someone that can implement his ideas on recruitment and on potentially the next manager of the club. Yeah, I think that he could be an absolute... I don't even know. I don't even know the word I'm thinking of. He could just be fantastic. You're very, you're very happy with it. You're just trying to think of the right word to describe he it. Could just, he could just be fantastic for this football club. I don't even know the word I'm thinking of. But yeah, it's a very forward step for the football club. And hopefully... Um, Kieran Scott in the new head of football role, whatever that entails, leads the club into a much more forward-thinking way of doing football business. Yeah. Now, speaking of football business, obviously the transfer window is still open. We briefly discussed Sol Bamba and Jamie Patterson last week. Since last week, Jamie Patterson has signed for Swansea and scored on his debut, as was probably <laughs> expected. How did you feel about Patterson not getting a deal? 
Yeah, I think I think last week when we touched on it, both of us were thinking quite similarly, thinking, well, he could provide us with an option that we don't really have, but he hadn't impressed either of us really in the pre-season friendlies that he had, albeit he had a knock, had I think. Off, yeah. yeah, but I think good luck to him. I mean, it, it, it may seem like we've wasted a slot that could have been used up by one of the youth academy playing in the pre-season friendlies. But yeah, I mean, it was always worth a look at. He's had championship experience before. So yeah, good luck to him. And another of those that I mentioned, Sol Bamba. It looks like Big Sol is going to get that contract with a view of going into a coaching role. I know we both said we were happy with it, but it hasn't been announced yet. But I think this week at some point it will be. Both, again, happy with Sol Bamba? Yeah, I mean, from what I've heard and what I've seen in the local papers, I think in particular Sam Morsi, he did an interview a few days ago and he spoke about how good of a man and how good of a person Sol Bamba really is. So it looks like Sol Bamba's already fitting in with the dressing room and he's already playing a big part of making that team morale he, as good as it already is. Because I, I think looking at looking at the team, especially in those celebrations at Fulham today, that team is 100% together and that team spirit looks fantastic. Yeah, it really does. That celebration, just going back to it, I know we've covered the game, but... It was just brilliant, wasn't it? All of them hugging each other. Dale Fry, fist up in the air. It's just, it's just brilliant that it's back. It just feels like it's back. Do you know what I mean? Fumble yeah, that, that photo in front of the fans, just the full squad and the away end in absolute raptures. It's just that complete sign of unison from the team to the fans. It's just everyone's connected. Football's just an amazing sport where everyone's connected. You feel this this way towards a certain group of players, and I, I don't I don't even know what to say really. Just how fantastic that the football is back and that the fans are back. What a wonderful sport that we have to watch. Yeah, definitely. Quite deep from you there, but yeah, I quite oh, liked no. it. I quite liked <laughs> it to be honest. Um, speaking of supporters and fans. We'll discuss Blackpool. There is a Carabao Cup fixture this week. I think it's probably going to be a chance. We do have a thin squad, but it'll be more of a chance for the youngsters to get a game and use the minutes for rest for the obviously the players that have played today as we're filming. Would you like to see any youngsters or any players specifically get some minutes? Obviously, Martin Piero is on the bench. Maybe he might get his first run out at the lovely Blackpool. I'm sure he'll be wondering what a Blackpool <laughs> is. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. It'll probably be a run out for the uh, the youth, really. I think it'd be good to see Jones get an even longer run out um, on Tuesday night as well as players like Jack Robinson and Connor Malley. So, yeah, I think that perhaps it, it, it could just be 
almost like a pre-season friendly for us, really. I mean, I don't think anyone's expecting a real cup run for us again this season. I think that but, would yeah. be fair. Yeah, we have to, I think we have too, too much of a thin squad to be focusing on um, cup, cup fixtures really this early on in the season, especially given how we know how thick and fast the championship games come around. Obviously, we've got Saturday next week, which is Bristol City, and then Wednesday which is QPR. So, yeah, they're coming thick and fast straight away. Yeah, it's great to be back, isn't it? Today's out of the way now, just looking ahead to the next game. And obviously, the next game after that, the Saturday, back at the Riverside, what an occasion it's going to be. Bristol City at home. I can't wait for it. I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, the Riverside... It's the last time we were all in there, not not counting the Bournemouth game last season where we only had a thousand fans in. The last game that we were inside the Riverside was a two-two drab draw against Nottingham Forest, yeah. in which Lewis Wing scored an absolute P-roller of a shot after a save from a goalkeeper. Yeah. And Rudy instead scored a header. Yeah, I think Rudy so, was on the score sheet, wasn't he? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I was, I was so, we slated him last week, but Big Rudy was on the score sheet last time. So, yeah, exactly. It, it's crazy how how long ago that seems. That game. It's been how many months has it been now? About eighteen months. That's yeah, crazy. Months, one. Absolutely like crazy. That. Yeah, and moving to that fixture, really. Obviously, we've managed to get the point today, and a positive point at that. Do you think, of course, it'll depend how things go in midweek. Obviously, Piero might get a, a little run out. Is there any changes? Obviously, this is considering that there may be incomings, but we're not sure on them. Yeah. At the moment, there hasn't been too many outfield rumours. Obviously, Luke Daniels has been mentioned, the free agent that was released by Brentford, but he's going to be backup keeper. So, pretend... That may be one incoming for the Carabao Cup fixture. Maybe he might come in. I'm not sure if Stjanovic will be off by then. He seems to want to go. But, yeah, on the Bristol City game in the league, is there any changes that you'd like to see from today? Um, yeah, I think possibly reverting back to a four, really. I think we could go with a bit of a, a four with a three in midfield, Crooks just behind Uche and Watmore, given given um, Crooks probably plays better centrally, I think. I, I'd rather see us revert to a four just to be a bit more on the front foot, trying to get forward a bit quicker. And when, I think the onus is on us, really, to go and attack Bristol City. I think three points are there for the take. Well, as you say, three points are there for the taking. In every Um, game this season, really. Yeah. Yeah. You just froze for a brief second there for the visual listeners. It wasn't the most um, it wasn't the most flattering angle of a (laughs) pause, should I say. But yeah. Um, for the audio listeners, I don't know, you might be quite happy that you you didn't see that strange face that Nathan was pulling. (laughs) But no, 
on the Bristol City game, yeah, I think it has really given us a chance, to be honest. There'll be a big crowd in the Riverside. It'll be rocking. The crowd will be fantastic. I've got no doubt about it. And I think going back to that four and attacking Bristol City and taking the game to them, it's really the occasion in itself is set up for that type of formation and that type of football, really, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I think Neil Warnock will know that as well. Neil Warnock will 100% know that the fans want to see us getting at Bristol City next week. They want to see us being on the front foot, trying to attack and trying to create things. So, yeah, I think we need to have that that bit of bit more pace, bit more creativity. Perhaps Tavernier could yeah, I was, start I was next week. Tavernier maybe even week. yeah, maybe he could come into a role behind Uche. I, I'm not sure. Maybe he could drop in and play on the wing. Him on one wing, Watmore on another. Yeah, I think we need to go out and attack them 100%. Definitely. And obviously, Bristol City is not going to be an easy game. They've got a lot of quality. Chris Martin, one of the players, I know he did score in their opener yesterday. Do you think, I know you did say the game was there for the taking, but what kind of challenge are Bristol City going to give us? You know, they'll be wanting to stop the party, really, won't they? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, um, I had a look at every championship side in the last week, really, and tried to have a guess where they would finish in, yeah. the, in the table. And you can, you can do have, a, little, a quick little plug, if you like, quick, for your season's quick little predictions. Plug, quick little plug, yeah. On my Twitter, I did a championships uh, predictions where I did a rundown of every side. And I think I put Bristol City in the lower lower mid-table, really, about about 16th, 17th place. I think last season they really struggled. After, Of course, they really struggled after battering us at the Riverside 3-1. Yeah, of course. But, That's just the way things go and being Middlesbrough, really, isn't it? Yeah, of course, yeah. So, Nigel Pearson, yeah, they, um, they, shoot, they won't be an, e- an easy customer to come up against. Of course, Chris Martin will be playing up front with Naki Wells. Yeah, who always one seems always to score against, against us. us. Yeah, yeah, always I, scores against us, Naki I Wells. Was just so that, yeah, I think it'll be. Yeah, just carry on. I was just, I was literally just thinking that Naki Wells historically <laughs> just seems to every single game that he plays against us score, doesn't he? Yeah, he's yeah, he's just one of them that that always. Always has a fantastic game against us. But yeah, as I say, Bristol City won't be a tough customer. Nigel Pearson will be wanting to come and upset us, sit behind the ball probably and catch us on the break, which we do have a bit of a struggle with, really, with teams that sit behind the ball against us. We struggle to break sides down like that. But I think with the crowd roaring us on next week, it could would prove pivotal, really. And you mentioned trying to break sides down there. 
would you be tempted? Now I know it got announced this week. And by the way, when that notification came through of Neil getting his marker <laughs> pen out of his bum bag, and it, would, and it was just that feeling of, it was like a weight off the shoulders, wasn't it? I know last podcast we were saying, just please announce it. He's been in isolation, but finally yeah. announced. It's just, would you be tempted to give him a start against Bristol? Yeah, I mean, hopefully he is everything that we hope he is. Yeah. I'm, do you know what? In he all is honesty, hopefully the argument. Ad, ad, well, I'm, I'm saying yeah, this. Hopefully he's the argument. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. I would, I would be. We're saying this, Nathan, from a point of view of YouTube clips, really, as are all the other Middlesbrough fans, which are so excited, and rightly so, because we're just the same. But, yeah, his, his strengths seem to be, from what we've seen of him, is breaking lines and being forward-thinking and really playing as more of a traditional number eight, which you don't really see anymore, but someone that is willing to take risks in more of a central area, and I think, obviously, with Crooks potentially in midfield, perhaps Morsi or Housing could be sacrificed and maybe, you know, take the game at Bristol City. Yeah, I mean, I think Piero could be that man to break lines. Of course, we have seen from YouTube clips that he's got an absolute rocket Good on him. YouTube. So, yeah. So Piero's got a rocket on him. So hopefully when Bristol City, you've got all 11 men behind the ball, Piero picks the ball up 30 yards and rockets one in the top corner in front of the south stand. I don't, I honestly think it's, it's early doors, but if that happens, I think that'll just, that the season can stop there. <laughs> in his first game, full Riverside, our new Argentinian star, number 10 on his back. If he goes and steps in from midfield and smashes one in the top corner, I think, yeah, I'm just, that'll be me done for the season. I'll just be that happy that I don't think I'll pick <laughs> any more than that. I think you'd see people swimming in the River Tees if that yeah. happened. Yeah, I think you're right, to be honest. Just briefly, actually, I've just thought of it just on the spot, speaking of the number 10. Tuberat Pom has had the number 10 taken off him. Number 19 now. I'm not sure how Stuart Downing will feel about that. But, yeah, he wasn't involved today through COVID, is what um, Warnock said. There was a few people on Twitter that didn't believe that was the case. Do you think that Atpom's time is up now? Yeah, I, I do think his time is up, really, with, with the links to other strikers. Um, Aaron Bupens is one name that's been mentioned. The Turkish Super League top scorer last season, he's been mentioned in rumours with us. I think Akpom, really, it's a, shame. it's a shame that it hasn't worked out. But, yeah, I think his, his time's unfortunately up with us only after one season. Yeah, I think, to be honest, that is a decent little point to end on. We've covered Fulham, unless there's anything else you want to say. We've, we've covered Fulham, we've, we've covered what to look forward to next week. 
Nathan, have you got any final thoughts on today? Just what a point. What a fantastic point. Football's back. The f- players and fans celebrating together. Warnock with his fist pumps in front of the away end. That's, I think that's everything that we wanted to see. Yeah. If that, if that could be, I'm not sure. I might, I, I might put it in the final edit for those that are watching on YouTube. Just that can be the final, the final parting um, message of this podcast. Not the parting message. The parting thing that you can see on the screen, just Neil Warnock <laughs> giving it one of them on screen. Yeah, it was just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, he's, he's such a fantastic guy to have in the club. I, I absolutely love him. And for the people that dislike Neil Warnock, I just think, how? How do you dislike Neil Warnock so with his Valentino Bumbag? Oh, what a man as well. Valentino Bumbag, you've got to respect it, haven't you? Stylish bloke. What a guy. Sharon treated him with that Valentino Bumbag. Fantastic. He must be in the good books, Neil. He must be. He must be 100%. Yeah. Well, I think that is a good place to end it on. Thank you very much, Nathan, for joining us from your multi-million pound villa in Portugal, (laughs) as you are a superstar. (laughs) And thank you all for watching and listening again. Uh, Please make sure to leave your comments, uh, tweet us at Baropolis, give us your thoughts on the podcast, whether it's been a disaster this week or whether it hasn't been as good as the first episode. I don't know. Hopefully it has been just as good, if not a little bit better. But yeah, thanks once again for listening and watching. Nathan, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you next week.